Let's kick it off. We've got recording. We've got a quick list in the GovCall chat. Anything we wanted to highlight before jumping into SIPs in progress and then opening up for general conversation on some of the topics discussed this week? We're not going to go through like what's, what's the updates first with the uh, protocol in terms of uh, V3, in terms of uh, V2X. When is it? Uh, yep. Not, yeah. I'll start with that. It's by past. Let's rock and roll. So priorities haven't changed. V3, atomic swaps, debt migration, and perhaps V2. First up is V2X. And now that perhaps V2 have been released onto testnet, they're focused on SIP 237, which is debt migration from L1 to L2, getting that ready for audit, as well as monitoring the changes to Atomic uh, cross asset swaps. So maybe Caleb, a quick rundown. Given there's been a couple of SCCPs or on atomic swaps. Yep. Sure, sure. Um, in terms of atomic swaps, there are like a few things now in the pipeline. Uh, one is uh, the improvement to the uh, product itself with Curve. As everyone knows, we had the uh, kind of uh, governance post on Curve where we ask them to lower fees and in return we lower our fees, which to the five basis points oracle. And, uh, the, so far atomic swaps are great. The, the, the volume is great. It's clean. There isn't, uh, attacks on it, latency attacks. And if there are some, they are failing. So, it's pretty impressive. I hope it's sustainable, you know, and with uh, five basis points, it continues to be to, to be clean. But like when you see when you see like uh, someone buying Curve token and, or someone buying DYDX, and it routes through atomic swaps, it means it's random and it means it's working out. It's uh, doing what it needs to do, and you get even fills that are thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars. So this is. Uh, kind of better than expected. Like we have fees at 15 basis points with a 30 basis point uh, oracle and we do get volume. It's not as big as a volume as before, but it's not because of atomic swaps, nor is it because of front running, you know, like because the May, June wasn't front running. It was clean volume arbitrage, but it's because like exchanges imploded after FTX. And so the guys that used to do like the ARBs with the, with <clears throat> sorry, with centralized exchanges, they kind of like uh, not gave up is, is the right word, but uh, took a break from the space. It's a kind of a tough time for everyone, you know. After FTX, a lot a lot of people lost a lot of money, and so that's why maybe we are not seeing the volumes we used to see. That said, we're seeing different kind of volume volume on chain, where someone wants to buy something with CowSwap. And he gets filled routing through atomic swaps to get the ETH, and from ETH he gets the token he wants, which is great. There is like one bot that's trying to attack the latency, but so far it's losing money. And the fill that he's getting is in line with off-chain prices, so there isn't uh, <clears throat> sorry, 
there isn't any uh, issue with atomic swaps at the moment. Now it's going to get better, of course. We have the curve um, curve update uh, tomorrow, I believe, and probably we'll do the changes, the necessary changes on Monday. Um, aside from that, we do have like two other integrations that are in the pipeline. <clears throat> Sorry, one is the um, integration with uh, uh, fixed um, uh, the, uh, the 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 old Andre pro uh, project um, uh, keeper. So the the guys there, they they uh, Kenneth and C Salty, they uh, kind of want to also have a direct integration with the curve pools that uh, include. Um, uh, forex. So what we do is we give them lower rates, and what they want is just a venue for users to like go from uh, external uh, collateral like ETH and to flip it to SUSD and to then SEURO or SJPY and uh, include that into the convex. So that's that's their offering. So that that's an integration. That's an interesting one because it has very low latency attack surface and so we can lower uh, fees on it that's the like magic of direct integration is that you can cater the uh, parameters for each different use case another one is uh, another an integration a deep one with cow swap so their solvers they want to kind of get take advantage of uh, direct integration right now we do have like cow swaps uh, kind of uh, um, uh, trades happening through atomic swaps, but these uh, these atomic swaps that are taking place, they're one inch. So one inch, the, the one inch team, they have a solver, <coughs> and that solver, uh, that solver is um, um, you, uh, routing through atomic swaps, and they're the only ones taking advantage of it. But CowSwap has a lot of uh, has a lot of solvers, and. Uh, one of their biggest solvers asked us for a direct integration, so they'll be setting it up in the next uh, week or two. So that's the update on Atomic Swaps. Stay tuned. A lot more to come. Thanks, Khaled. Those two other integrations are good to hear. Could you backtrack um, briefly and just a quick run through again on what the curve changes mean once once they wrap up in the next couple of days? Uh, the changes, they're like kind of Gonna lower fees from 15 to like seven basis points on synthetics. And curve is gonna go from four, uh, or eight because there, two, there are two pools to four. So effectively that's a reduction of fees of, uh, eight and four is just like 12 basis points, you know? That's, uh, that's like, that's, that's a lot. Uh, so the all-in round cost, you know, of doing the uh, atomic swap end-to-end -end from USDC to ETH or the other way around will be like 10 basis points on $5 million. That's very, very competitive with markets, like uh, Uniswap V3 competitive almost, maybe even more than Uniswap. So we'll see how it goes. It's still being tinkered with. Um, to be honest... What's, what, what makes it, what makes it work are, are two things, two, two important things. One is that, uh, you have those, um, curve pools, you know, like when someone goes in a certain direction, 
he will get hit back with some resistance. Like if there's like a directional intense flow, intense flow towards ETH, the more he goes in that direction, the less yield he will get. So there's like kind of a circuit breaker, a slippage circuit breaker. This is like one thing that helps make atomic swaps work is that there's like limitations on how much uh, volume uh, that uh, there's no slippage can be taken. Another thing is that we are forcing the uh, trade to route through curve. And basically, like, let's say a trade happens from USDC to ETH. It means that liquidity is going to flow from the SUSD pool, pool to the SETH pool. And what happens is that you'll have more SETH and less SUSD uh, in those pools. More SETH in the ETH pool, less SUSD in the SUSD pool. And so after that, you have arbitrages that take place with those pools. Like uh, for the ETH pool, for instance, someone might take out the SETH and send it to whatever, uh, another protocol that has a ETH. And the same thing happens with SUSD when it goes into imbalance. It, some SUSD comes in from whatever, like Athe or something. So these arbitrages make, make, uh, make uh, are helpful. Why? Because slippage becomes irreversible. So if there's like a directional flow in one, one way, it's not like if he goes back the other way, like a latency attacker or something, he will get refunded the, the slippage. No. Why? Because like the book pools got art. So, so these like are two important things. One is the amplification factor uh, or coefficient. This helps um, calibrate how much directional flow can go into one of the pools, and they, they are definitely helpful. They're like our uh, SIP, the slippage, uh, dynamic fee slip. I think they are better than that because it's like one parameter that you change, and it affects trades all around. And the other thing is that those arbitrages. So the combination of these two is, is working out, and... Hopefully, this model proves to be uh, resilient. Thanks. That's uh, a great high-level update. And maybe 272 may not be needed. Yeah, in my opinion, like, it's not needed. And I'll be happy to flip it to reject it. The amplification factor plays the same role. What what made us like right to seventy two was our was kind of our need to control slippage, but uh, curve have been has been helpful. You know, the community there is very helpful. They want what's best for everyone, for both stakeholders, that's us and them, because if we're getting hurt, we'll change the parameters and they'll get less volume. So it's like uh, understanding between between two protocols that like. The amplification factor has to be used for risk management, and it plays a better role than 272 because it, it requires less work on us, and it's a parameter, a single parameter that affects the curve pools themselves, which is which is great. All right. Thanks, Caleb. Doesn't look like there's any questions oh. in the chat about. That yeah, I just wanted to ask uh, Caleb about, uh, you know, 272 affects slippage, so won't it affect the non, uh, you know, the direct, uh, the trades happening other than the direct integrations? 
so sorry, can you go again? What's with uh, 272 is affecting no, I mean, trades? Uh, yeah, that, that's for slippage, right? 272. And yeah. uh, with the direct integrations, we don't have a problem because the parameters are set individually. But uh, for the non-direct ones, I mean, the ones which we are not integrated with, and we raised the volumes recently, I believe, the max uh, volume per block, again, 5 million. Yeah, the so non-direct non, uh, non, non um, non integration, you know, is not a product maybe that's uh, maybe worth pursuing because it, ha- it has no, like, why would someone trade um, SETH when he can trade ETH is my question to you. It's because to get, like, advantage in terms of slippage, but that's direct integration, you know. So that that was the maybe the fundamental um, shift in uh, thinking about the what's the purpose of sense, sense if you can trade the real thing well the purpose of the, uh, the derivative is to take uh, exposure you know on it uh, on the assets well why don't you take the uh, like if you can get leverage with derivative that's great that's purpose but uh, spot you can get the asset itself now if you offer uh, folks more uh, room more room in terms of slippage than is available in markets, they'll take advantage of it, and that's not helpful. So what is the use case? The use case is to kind of um, uh, go in between trades, like uh, like we are doing now in non-direct in direct integration. So when someone wants to do cross-asset swaps on-chain, that, that can be made possible with uh, direct integration. But other than that, I don't see the the use case, to be honest. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to understand. We raised the limit again from 100k to uh, 5 million. Is, is that correct? In my understanding. Yeah, we raised the limit and we raised fees, of course. So with higher fees, latency attacks are non-existent. So and and also like there is uh, something important. Huh? We also yeah. raised the TWAP, TWAP window. It was, I think. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, three minutes or two minutes, something like that. Now it's 30 minutes. So, like, even if there is a risk of someone taking advantage of Uniswap to move the price, they'll have to fi- fight a 30-minute TWAP uh, price. So that, that's almost impossible. Okay, and I believe there were concerns raised uh, by Afif, I think, in, in a SIP when the volume was lowered from 5 million to 100k about uh, multi-block MEV. So, so uh, was that concern addressed? That, that's what I was trying to um, uh, uh, refer to. Like we raised the TWAP window to 30 minutes, you know, after the, uh, like after we lowered volume. And that was oh, okay, specifically okay. for that, you know, so that because if you if you increase TWAP, what happens is that the attacker would have to like move the pool for thirty consecutive minutes for for him to have an effect. So it's kind of now really difficult, and fees are high. So the other attack is latency. So with fees being fifty basis points, I had a I had a look, of course, that I didn't like get these uh, numbers uh, randomly uh, I, I did look at the latency and looked like 50 basis points is the 99.9 percentile which is where latency attacks happen and so that number 
helps lean against latency attacks. So if there are some, they won't be profitable most of the time. Of course, these numbers have to be revised based on volatility, but I think 50 is kind of a resilient number. Got it. Thanks. Thanks, Caleb. Let's move on in the interest of time. V3, Noah, I think you're on stage. Would you like to jump in and add any detail here? Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll, it's a brief update. Uh, we got the um, code frozen and handed off to the auditors uh, successfully last week. We're doing a little bit of uh, uh, polish on like the tests and the documentation, but um, yeah, mostly in touch with the auditors and trying to uh, sort of shepherd that process through as efficiently as possible. Um, simultaneously, the priority for new builds is going to be uh, markets for V3. So we've already made a lot of headway on the spot market while doing the core development. Um, so, yeah, um, we'll have a lot of uh, firepower with the core code and audit to, to work on market development. So, yeah, once the spot markets are in a good spot, then we'll get straight into uh, Perps V3, um, likely uh, beginning of next year. Cool. But yeah, that's, I can answer any questions, but that's where we're at right now. Thanks, Noah. It doesn't seem like any mics are off and there's no questions in the chat. Cool. No questions about V3. Amazing. Very. Jumping onto Pebs V2. Afif. Sorry, actually, I just want to check something regarding V3. Are the um, are the docs up to date? Just because I'm reading through them all at the moment, and uh, I just want to check how current they are. Uh, they're they're up to date as far as I know. Maybe maybe some function names might have changed around a little bit, but at least in terms of the broader like intent and how how the system works, uh, it should it should all be up to speed. Um, and yeah, for for you and anyone listening or reading, um, if there's anything that we can clarify in the docs or if there's any feedback on that, um, definitely, uh, yeah, share in the public Synthetics V3 channel or submit a pull request. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Yep. There was a stablecoin question, SUSD and SNXUSD. How long will they coexist? Uh, it, it, there's there's a lot of uh, sort of practicalities uh, that'll play into that. It, it, it's hard to estimate. Basically, uh, I, I would say that um, the advantage to the current uh, migration plan is that there is no specific timeline that we need to operate on. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll be able to make the transition uh, sort of as V3 markets are ready and. Um, you know, just sort of staying appraised to general liquidity concerns, any peg issues, things like that, we can keep an eye on and uh, sort of keep the process controlled and time it as, uh, yeah, in, in the best way possible. Um, so wait, one other thing. Um, let's say, you know, we decide not to, like, uh, integrate SNX as collateral in V3. How would the wind down of, um, of that happen? And especially in regards to, like, uh, like escrowed uh, SNX and, and stuff like that. 
Um, yeah, so I guess there, there are a couple, couple pieces to that question. Um, so collateral on the V2 system will continue to back, uh, debt issued by the V2 system, uh, SUSD and all the other sense and markets. Uh, and then as collateral is moved over to V3 or any new collateral that is, uh, put into the V3 system on, um, ETH mainnet or optimism at least, that can back uh, through the legacy market, that can also back the existing sense. Um, initially, there's not going to be a huge uh, sort of reason to migrate over until we have markets stood up on on V3 and, and we start needing liquidity to back those. Um, so there are some timeline questions that we'll need to sort of work out uh, as the rollout's happening. Um, there's also a scenario where we could roll out V3 initially um or or uh simultaneously on um other chains and not have that liquidity synthesized right away and then uh roll out a new cross-chain synthesis plan with v3 so we could have a v3 instance on a new chain um that's sort of a freestanding system uh and we, we could explore different sequencing options with that as well so like i think and the main concern is um how do we unwind that smoothly without like um essentially it, it because so the new system is going to be submitting new um like the the, the two debt pools are going to be completely separate right uh which which two debt pools sorry v3 and v2 uh not not exactly in that like v3 through this legacy market we've created can sort of act like a staker that's backing v2 so we, we, we've set up a system where people will be able to stake into V3 and then continue, uh, backing the V2 system. Okay. And then, okay. So that would then allow for the SNX stakers to slowly unwind, uh, without impacting, um, open positions or, you know, synth holders, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would think of it more as unwinding V2X issued debt, uh, that we'll, we'll be able to, yeah, continue to back, uh, V2X issued debt, um, on, on the V3 system sort of indefinitely and we can scale back the amount of collateral that's being used to, to back that debt as it, as it becomes, uh, decreasingly necessary. And then, um, the, the legacy debt pool for NV3, that would, can easily merge with like the future V3 debt pool? Yeah, so the, the, the legacy debt pool, it's like a, it's more like a legacy market. So it's like if you're, if you're staking into the V3 system, uh, a, a pool in V3 can, let's say, put, uh, 50% of its collateral towards backing the, uh, the V2 system through the legacy market and then 10% into, uh, perps V3 and 10% into some other perps market and 10 you know, like we, we can sort of chop it up however. And then uh, one of the things that V3 is backing is the entirety of the V2 system. Right, but if we're unwinding, like, the, the V2 system over time, right, like, those contracts will be deprecated, correct? So how would that transition uh, look like? Yeah, so the, the, the collateral in the V2 system can be uh, migrated over to V3 and then continue backing the V2 system through this legacy market. Uh, and the existing debt on V2 can, uh, sort of live on, um, as necessary and we can come up with various plans to, to, to wind down that debt and migrate the debt over to debt issued from the V3 system.
Wait, sorry, you said the collateral in V2 can be migrated over, right? We don't want the collateral to migrate over, right, if it's SLA. Uh, well, we've created a system where that's uh, that's possible. I mean, it's up to governance how uh, sort of how exactly this all plays out. But from an engineering standpoint, we, we have a mechanism to move uh, collateral uh, taking positions from V2 to V3. Okay, true. So I'm just trying to, like, figure out if that is, like, um, in, like in your opinion, is, if that is the primary way by which the transition will happen. Like, is that the, the plan for that to be the primary way to do the migration? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, again, I, I think, like, we, we've designed a system where we can continue backing all of the debt on V2. Uh, collateral can, positions can move from V2 to V3. Uh, we can create new collateral positions on V3. We can create new debt on V3. And we can also just deploy the V3 system clean on other chains as well. So we have a lot of options, and uh, we can sort of, through governance, decide uh, what the sequencing looks like and, and uh, how exactly that should play out. Yeah, sure. I don't want to dwell on this too long, but I just want to, like, make sure, like, because if, like, the idea is to, you know, have the transition as smooth as possible, but then we're, you know, depending on bringing over collateral from V2, I think that would, we should probably, like, you know, plan otherwise. Because from my, like, from what I'm seeing in governance, like, we don't want SNX to be collateral in V V3. So essentially, you know, I would just think like thinking like planning wise for a smooth transition, we try to like plan for something that takes into account the fact that SNX will not be coming over. Um, so, yeah. It has to be a migration and then a gradual wind down. I don't know that we can just gatekeep V3 from SNX collateral because there will be a ton of SNX collateral and debt that's unmigrated in V2X. Um, that, you know, maybe he doesn't want to repay or can't repay or whatever. And then we, we just kind of have this really messed up system, like kind of the way Noah, what Noah is saying is that we'll have a voluntary migration period and then maybe an incentivized migration period. And then at the end, we just kind of force migrate. So it's clean and it's still one, one system. But in terms of winding down the role of SNX collateral, that'll be, that'll have to be something that happens in, in V3. And it, it's not trivial to do because of all of the, legacy debt that's already outstanding. Um, we have some ideas, but obviously it has to, we have to all talk about it as a community. I mean, it probably involves some kind of freezing of new issuance of, of SNX back debt. Um, and then, you know, over time as fees accrue, they pay down debt of other positions that aren't unwinding. And then it kind of just becomes a less significant part of the system over time, but it will definitely be non-trivial to well, that, that's why that's part of why I think we should have these conversations now because it's going to be so like it's it's going to be a really long process even once we all decide yes we need to wind this down it's going to be hard to totally wind it down. Yeah, definitely. Okay, that makes sense. That's exactly what I was thinking too. Um, it, it will it will be um not not sure non true. It would yeah, definitely but be like we could we could start v three, move all the SNX collateral over create all the new markets, you know, have them be markets where, you know, maybe minting and, and hedging are not necessarily a requirement. Like most of our best markets now don't require that, right? Like we'll have a cool spot market that backs the stable coin, you know, wrap basis trade market that backs the stable coin. And then all the perps markets, which are Delta neutral, and these are all low risk. And we could still have initially in V3 SNX, you know, backing those markets without creating new debt uh, besides what it accrues through those markets. And then we kind of like we'll have to gradually deleverage the system over time and phase in new collateral is kind of how I see it playing out. But it will be slow and it will be very deliberate. You got it. Mm -hmm. 
happy to hear that you know it will take some time and give seekers a chance uh, another thing i was just curious about because until a couple of weeks back i think it was being said that snx could be used as collateral if uh, the community decides and you know all of a sudden there was this stance that you know if it's not eth you know it's it's not going to be anything i mean it has to be ETH. so when did this transition happen and how how was it this decision made Who are you asking? Are you asking like me or that might be more like open for open discussions. Like I think um the people are supposed to give an update on Perfect V2 first and then maybe we could dive into that after. Is that right, Cap? Yeah, that'll be fun. Um yeah, I mean as far as I know, I don't think there's any actual formal proposals for how collateral will be allocated or incentivized and the goal is to make synthetics a multi-collateral protocol so let's do perps v2 now um and we can always see if there's time for further discussion towards the end if you happy to do the update on perps v2 yeah so um the so auditor sent back some final feedback earlier this morning um and I think it, it's looking like it will finish audit on schedule this week, as, as was expected. Um, David, Leo was fixing some stuff with delayed orders, which are now running extremely smoothly, the off-chain Oracle delayed orders. And David has been working on making sure all the keepers are up, are, are running smoothly and, and have been uh, updated to work with Perps V2. So liquidation keepers and then de- um, delayed order keepers, which are kind of just a slightly different version of the um, next price order keepers, but then also the off-chain delayed order keepers. I think those um, he wrapped up last night. Um, and yeah, everything seems to be coming along pretty smoothly. In terms of an exact date, I won't commit to one next uh, just yet. I would say like we could be ready by next week. There's a couple other things of like making sure the subgraphs are all are all updated and everything like that. Um, but I would say like like within the next 10 days is probably feasible. Uh, but also keep in mind, like the initial perps V2 is, is, you know, it'll just be one market. It'll be ETH with, uh, you know, um, with, uh, Pith Oracles. And there will be like a couple week trial period of observing and that sort of thing. Um, and then all the rest has to go through governance. So like perps V2 is super exciting and we're going to present a set for it after this, but also like, um, I just want everybody to be totally aware of what the timeline is going to look like. So, but yeah. Mainnet in the next seven to ten days does seem like it's uh, still on schedule. Is there like an updated timeline from Chainlink on their um, off-chain implementation? Uh, I missed. Uh, Cav, were you on the call with Chainlink this week? The last I heard that um, so they they were going to have something ready for us to test uh, this month. I think that's probably still the case. Um, I don't know, Cav, did you, were you on that, on that call or Noah? Uh, I, I was, I think. Yeah, they said that was contracted. We have it I think Roger, there. yeah, Roger's in the call if, if he wants to provide any updates in the chat or, or anything along those lines. Roger, do you want to come up? Let me try not to kick him. I'm trying to invite him, but oh, yeah. I don't know how to. There we go. Hey guys, can you hear me? Welcome, Roger. Yeah. Yep. Yes, we're on we're on track for uh yeah, end of this month for a testnet version for you guys. And uh I'm pushing on the engineers, so maybe uh you guys can have an early Christmas present. <laughs>
Can't wait. Awesome. Great Looking news. Forward. So, yeah, so, thanks, the, so testnet will be uh, this month, but when is when is mainnet? Is it expected in Jan or Feb or or what is the timeline normally? Um, can you get rolled? Roger, um, like left right away, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get him back up. You can't get away that easily. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, pending. Pending testing stuff, you know, we're still looking, you know, ideally like into January. So um, hopefully we don't want to cover any big issues in in uh, in testing, but uh, that's that should be reasonable, right? So so we launch it in January, in, in end of Jan, I assume. That's yeah, the, the end. Of perfect. Yeah, that's what we're, we're tracking for it. So. Thank you. Great. Great to hear. Yep. Thanks, Roger. All right. Thanks, guys. Also, Troy is doing a lot in Perps V2. So much. We love Troy. That's all. I'm just calling out for Troy. That's the end of the Perps V2 update. Thanks, Faith. And then... I think an important notification about governance, even though there's some um, confirmation about the end dates of uh, voting, is that the voting start period or the nomination start period is December 10th. Is that still, I think that date is correct, Matt? Just the last date, so we need to finalise. No, um, the actual election period has been halted. Uh, so that the start date currently is um, nominations are scheduled to start on December 18th, and then the voting period is scheduled to start on December 22nd. That's per the six. Uh, it may need others to step in to say whether that's, um, despite being a SIP, whether it can actually go ahead with those dates or not. To reduce the overhead devoted to the election period, obviously like 21 days for an election, quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's going to have to just be looked into a tad more because, like, um, oh, like only because I know in the past, uh, you know, like last year and years prior, you know, there's always been this this large dip. Of um, you know people voting during uh, during holiday time, and I I think there has been SIPs surrounding like shortening the the you know the voting period for for the holiday time as well. Um, but you know that may have to be re brought up you know with with Terra's SIP uh, in mind. Um, but that's going to be looked into, and you know have an answer very very soon on that. And like given with Terra SIP that exists right now, like that's like that would be, you know, the information that that, that would have to be followed. Uh, anything else would have to be Spartan Council action to, you know, to change those dates. Cool. We're looking. Thanks, Matt. We're looking for those dates because I can see it's two two eighty six past. So we'll confirm yeah. those dates. Yeah. Back. And that's it on SIP progress. So I know we have some presentations scheduled, but 
other topics before then? Yeah, I, I got one I want to talk about. Um, discuss a little bit in, with the community. Um, sort of gave some hints as, as to what I, I think is a good uh, approach to, you know, post post V3, V2, V3 migration. Um, it has to do with, like, obviously, um, you know, the, the direction of governance. So, like, um, I basically, I think, you know, for the, first of all, SNX can't be collateral with V3. Like, we have to make, uh, the, you know, the decision to wind it down and to, like, wind it down, um, you know, prudently. Just, but just to you try and state things as your proposal rather than do definitively, just in case there are other proposals that come up in the future? Okay, so the proposal is mainly that we move to two um, sorts of governance modules that oversee the protocol. Um, the the main one, the one that would be in charge of upgrades, would be uh, the Bravo Governor contract, which is what Compound uses and which is what uh, Uniswap uses to manage the treasury. Uh, essentially, it's just like uh, a contract which um, controls protocol upgrades and the owner is generally the tokens. Um, so it's completely on chain. Uh, it's completely permissionless. There's like a time lock delay on um, there's a voting period and then there's a time lock delay on executing proposals. And then that would basically be in charge of updating Synthetics V3. Now, the owner of that contract could be SNX tokens, but what I'm proposing is for it to be vote locked SNX tokens. So essentially you lock your tokens in for duration. It's like, just like how curve works. Um, and that gives you access to governance as well as, uh, protocol fees. And then the other thing that I want to abstract away, like, you know, as soon as possible in V3 is, you know, the sparring council endorsed pools or like the sparring council, um, however way like the sparring council backs a pool, which like, you know, as like, you know, whoever provides liquidity to, to and like gets us next emissions. I think that should be replaced, uh, with gauges. So, you know, protocol votes on a gauge, um, on a, for whatever pool. Um, and if it gets a gauge, it can get emissions and, uh, the vote locked us next votes on those uh, gauges, um, as time goes on based in the, to direct emissions to it. So I would say like basically everything, um, is controlled via governance. So like, you know, you could probably even uh, control, I guess, emissions via governance. Um, but you, you know, it, it's just, you know, a, any kind of upgrade goes through, um, you know, vote locked SNX voting. And then the other thing that I would say is, um, essentially the, the goal here is to use like the two most, you know, best proven governance uh, modules to control the protocol through strictly the token, right? So that's the idea here. Um, like, you know, I think, you know, we should get moving on that, like, as soon as possible, like, if it's possible. Essentially, from what I deducted from this call, is that, you know, that transition from uh, SNX back collateral to, like, an ETH-only debt pool or, like, an ETH and, like, um, you know, some censorship-resistant stablecoin back debt pool is not going to be trivial, right? It's going to be take a long time. So you're probably going to need the Spartan Council for that time period. Um, but I think, like, you know, we should try and make that transition as, like, as quickly as possible. And as soon as it happens, you know, we immediately move to this on-chain um, governance uh, strategy. So that's the gist of it. Um, in terms of like the protocol fees and stuff, like what would what would uh, purpose would SNX serve? So SNX would serve the like the purpose of a gov token. 
Now, the word Gov token has taken a big hit thanks to projects like Compound, Uniswap, you know, Aave. You know, they kind of like defiled the term Gov token. A Gov token is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean it doesn't have any inherent like utility. It's just that, you know, they don't decide not to give it, right? But we don't have to do that, right? Like, so Curve's Gov token, you know, Curve has very sophisticated governance, I should say. Um, and they vote very often. They vote on a lot of, uh, like different parameterizations for pools. Obviously the objectives are a lot different in curves and synthetics. So, you know, that's why we would be, you know, having to, two governance modules to, um, basically control synthetics, but it, it wouldn't even be two governance modules. It would just be like the V, the vote locked SNX controlling, um, you know, protocol upgrades. And so. Yeah, that's the gist of it. And obviously, you know, Volok as next would would gain some fees. Um, that could also be controlled by governance, but like the fees could be capped at like max fifty percent, and then they could be whatever uh, you would you know you would want to you know whatever governance sets to that. And then obviously emissions would you know there were some questions around like would emissions go on forever? I mean that's controlled by governance, but like you know at least for the most part like emissions would go only to the gauges. Um, yeah, so that's basically the idea there. And then obviously, um, it's not going to be like Curve, uh, the way Curve wars are and like the bribing system, because we're not going to have a lot of pools. We're probably going to have a handful of pools at most, right? Like we're, there's going to be one main pool, which is like, you know, ETH, BTC, the majors. And then there'll be, uh, another pool with, you know, with like more long tail assets, you know, for our markets, uh, for long tail assets. And then, you know, you know, perhaps like a third or fourth pool. Like I don't see there ever being like, you know, a hundred, you know, gauges, like how curve and balancer are. So there's not going to be a whole bribe economy as much. It's definitely going to be more as to like just control parameters, control emissions, you know, incentivize liquidity to go where we, you know, the system would benefit the most um, and stuff like that. So that's like the main, the main idea of what I'm thinking. And like in the meanwhile, I'm not so concerned about like SNX value to curl. Like, so I don't think we should like put a whole bunch of tech that on like, you know, some inter like, some intermediary like uh staking contract or something in the meantime, like, you know, I think, you know, the focus should be on like getting the migration right, making sure V3 is working well, and then moving to like on-chain, on, you know, censorship resistant governance. Yeah, I, thank you for that. I do kind of um, agree with you that this could be like a feasible direction. Um, one, one thing I do want to mention is that there is always the risk of having a YAM-like attack, you know, you know, YAM, the, the governance attacks that, that happen on, on their protocol. Every Christmas, someone proposes something to rock treasury or something. So that does come with risk. Definitely. Right. So that's the whole point of having vote lock. <laughs> So, like, the vote locking is to prevent governance attacks from people just being able to buy up governance tokens, attack it, and if they fail attack, they just sell the tokens, right? That's why Yam gets attacked always. But, like, if you have to lock your tokens for, like, um, you know, six months or whatever. And the other thing I was going to say, like, I, I would say, like, shorter uh, maybe locking periods than curve, but, like, um, the same idea where the longer you lock, the more, um, you know, vote power you have. So like in order, in order to you know um, attack governance, you'd have to lock your tokens for a significant amount of time. So I, I think the idea of the vote locking in favor of gauges is great because that definitely should be with the community. I think a lot of the 
current versions of governance DAOs that we see that are using Bravo uh, and Charlie are in a bit of a, a challenging situation where, like, you know, Compound is really only driven right now by Compound Labs and, you know, GFX Labs who had a stake in it. There's not a ton of governance involvement. Um, the outlier there is Curve, uh, but Curve is also an outlier because of the lucrative amount of fees that it generates and because it probably tips, tiptoes into uh, an area of it being a U.S. security, which they don't seem to care about at all. Um, so they are an outlier in that perspective. But when we look at synthetics, we have a very technical product that needs deep understanding. Um, and we get these engaged individuals representing on different councils, different groupings, uh, and taking the time to learn and inform themselves on the protocol and put forward these proposals. And I would worry about going entirely that way and losing out on that. And then the other thing is you mentioned the, the pool risk. I agree that we should only have a handful of pools that are based on robust assets. If it's only on the basis of um, this vote-locked voting that gets to decide what those pools are and what those parameters are, uh, we're not going to be able to prevent that. We're going to see the same phenomenon that we see with Curve and Balancer where long-tail pools end up getting generated and long-tail assets get generated because people will have an incentive to drive value to their token. Uh, and, and we see that time and time again with those protocols. So I, I think there's definitely some elements here, but I would be, I, I also think there's a unique value to the broad and engaged involvement that the current synthetics governance model provides that we don't see in other DAOs. And I think it would be a shame to give that up entirely. So a couple of things there. Um, so Curve has actually a defense mechanism against that. And, you know, so does Ave. Uh, a few like they, they basically have a emergency DAO, which has the power to strike down uh, gauges, and they've actually used it before. So they, if you recall, with um, I think it was Moki or whatever, they tried to you know they had like this unbacked stablecoin that was getting a ton of curve emissions, and then Bantang yeah. and like they did short of that. So that'll be the same thing here. There'll be so a that's, really that's, that's, that's such a, a high threshold though to strike something down because they also had a crap ton of you know Luna UST driven pools where I think. You know, even trying to get the synthetics committees to look at, you know, is, yeah. is Bitcoin currently a good collateral and go, hmm, I don't know. Right. Like it's just such a higher bar to strike something down than to approve something. But I I appreciate they do have that emergency mechanism. I just think it it also changes the, the threshold of action. OK, so what I would say is I think, you know, in terms of like collateral upgrades, you know, parameter upgrades, um, you know, the stuff that you mentioned, like, um, the compound doesn't really have a lot of community incentive to work on that. I think it would be different because compound doesn't uh, accrue value. So like, you know, there's an actual incentive to be involved in synthetic governance if there's three shared, like uh, with curve and we're solving for different things than curve. So like, we're, I don't think, uh, like curve wanted UST. They didn't lose at all by having UST. They wanted it. The protocol actually benefited immensely. Probably the only protocol that ever benefited from UST was curve, right? Like no one else, everyone died. Everyone who had the UST like lost considerably, except for Curve. They got a ton of fees when it happened, so they wanted that. But like for us, right, we're not going to want that. Like you don't want your LPs to go bankrupt because the CPD system, right, it's a collateral back uh, position. So I don't see why the incentive would ever come to like stakers or VESNX holders to want to vote for like let's say um, random like the newest Dodge uh, derivative to have like a purpose market for that, right? Like there's no totally, reason totally, why. Totally agree right? that you and I don't want that because we are informed on the risks of that protocol and rational informed actors. 
Uh, I think that gives way too much benefit of the doubt to the average DAO voter in other protocols where they are just driven by let's get more assets in, let's get more fees generated, even if that fee has a huge risk. Um, I don't think they take the time to really understand those things in in depth when we're talking about risk of collateral voting because it gets very nuanced. If I can just like say something, um, with V3, the, the system is, is a bit different from what it is now. Um, the, there are like a few parameters that can be changed. One of which, which is a very important one, is what collateral can be used to uh, participate in that pools. And this is something that's controlled by Spartan Council. And if it's controlled by community, it is one of those important things. But in terms of fees, in terms of um, what uh, perk markets we can have, these are things that can be kind of a bit more um, lenient on, if that's the right word, because um, the debts can be like uh, chosen. Like you can say, okay, I, I don't want to participate in this market. I'll just allocate my debt to ETH, you know, and this like kind of incorporates some flexibility into not uh, limiting um, damage across different uh, um, uh, debt, uh, debt pools. And, yeah, that's and a really thing, good point. Sorry, there you go. And, and fees, you know, there would be like different pools with different fees and they're set at inception and they can't be changed, I think. So like if you have ETH, you have like the 30 basis point pool, you have the 25 basis point pool. So these are things that would be less kind of, it would be more, stakers who want to participate in these but but still the collateral is important you know like collateral is one of those things that needs to be kind of very seriously looked at when you add something and needs expertise i, I agree with you but yeah so what i would say is like you know that would be the smart council giving recommendations you know you know protocol contributors giving recommendations but i disagree fundamentally that has to be in the hands of token holders like we can have these kind of parameters especially collateral in the hands of like an eight person council, right? That is like, that doesn't make sense in my opinion. Like if the majority of token holders, like there has to be quorum thresholds for votes, similar to how curve has a, like curve has a really good design for governance. It's just a stable coin assets are just not like as lucrative as what we're offering, which is like leverage trading. But like, I, I think the reality is like if token holders vote to in- include like USDC as collateral, but then we can't stop that. Right. And I don't think it's the job of like the, Sparring Council to stop it. If they do that, that's a big failure. Like, I admit, that is, like, disastrous, right? But we have to trust that, like, the token holders won't do. We can't depend on the eight-man council, right? That's not censorship-resistant. That's not even, like, you know, that doesn't make sense, in my opinion, to have those, any kind of upgrades in the hands of, like, what would make sense is this emergency uh, DAO or, like, you know, the Sparring Council, all of a sudden, you know, they have the ability to pause markets, just like how Curve does, right? They can pause trading and enable only withdrawals. So, like, we would have the same thing. We just pause all trading and we just enable people to wind down their positions. Um, but, like, I would argue that, no, every aspect, especially those aspects, especially, would ha- which should be, you know, um, controlled by token holders, right? And the I think as long as... Longer- curve is that their their emergency DAO isn't voted in, right? Spartan Council is voted in on recurring epochs to represent the interests of users. And so if, if one epoch they're not putting on collateral because of their own biases then you vote out those individuals in the the next cycle, right? This is a 
a delegation of power of users. Users are voting on these decisions by saying, I'm going to proxy my vote to these individuals this cycle because I feel they represent values and views that I want to see in the protocol. And I know that they'll have the time to focus in on the details of the protocol where I don't. There is still that flow through of representation, whereas Curve is just a multi-sig that was assigned, and that's why they don't represent individuals in in a voting capacity. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think we should abandon the election method for sparring council. I think sparring council should still be elected. But like, let me say this, like, the sparring council, the way it is now, the governance way it is now, the delegated governance, this was a transitionary, transitory, like, governance, you know, process. Like, this was meant for just to get synthetics to V3. When we get to V3, we no longer need this delegated governance. What we want is now to put the protocol in the hands of token holders. Like, this was not meant to be a permanent solution to governance, right? And it shouldn't be. This is meant to be for, um, like, you know, quick iteration. Uh, and it's, we especially need it now, right? Like, we need quick iteration, especially when we want to, you know, transition away SMX collateral. We want to get a smooth transition to, like, a ETH-only back debt pool. Th- these things, that make sense to have delegated governance. But once those are solved and done, like, we have to put, the, eventually you have to give the, like, put the protocol in the hands of token holders. Like, if the majority of token holders are not capable of voting, then what difference does it make, like, if they're give, giving, like, voting in, like, people to make these decisions versus voting directly? It's the same thing, right? Because if the majority votes for, like, you know, bad delegates, it's the same, it's the exact same thing. Like, it doesn't make a difference in my opinion. So, like, I want, I think, you know, that's, I think most of the governance and most of our contributors should probably be transitioning over time to, like, independent, um, you know, work groups, you know, even the CCs, like we want it to be independent work groups. And then the treasury, we want most of the treasury since SLS not be collateral to also be in the Bravo, Bravo governor contract. And then the treasury council just operates out of a multi-sig and they don't, you know, they use uh, the funds like how they think. Like, so we would still have the same elections that we have now, like the same thing, the same sort of stuff. It's just that, you know, the token holders would directly control things instead of like on a snapshot, you know, voting people in. They would have like, you know, basically autonomous control over the protocol. And we have to, we, if we don't strive for that, we kind of failed, right? Like y- there is no other way to go about it, in my opinion. Like that's the only way to achieve censorship resistance, which is actually going to be a huge theme, I think, in the next two years, right? I think that we're going to see some attacks on protocols from, you know, malicious actors, um, you know, mainly regulators. Like regulators are mostly malicious for the most part from what I've seen. So, you know, I think we definitely need to like get to there, you know, quickly. Um, I, I think, you know, the Curves mod, model, uh, you know, I, I like essentially complemented alongside like the other governance that we, other governance strategies that we've seen, you know, all together, you know, there's a nice cohesive opportunity here because, you know, we, we can iterate on all these different experiments that have happened. And we could also use our version of like V3GM or, you know, um, delegated governance for like our, our contributor bodies and stuff. Um, and like basically we could achieve like what no protocol has been able to achieve so far, uh, which is like a really cohesive, you know, governance strategy that, you know, it, it would basically be unrivaled, I think. That's where I'm going with all this. Uh, so, so if, if I may speak. Yeah. So while all, all of this is welcome, uh, I'm, all, I'm just trying to let's circle back to my initial question, you know, until a couple of weeks ago, uh, SNX was probably going to be uh, you know, one of the candidates for being used as collateral. No, nobody seemed, no, not many people seem to be opposed to the idea of using it. And now all of a sudden it's just about, you know, using ETH. So well, how, how did this transition happen? And 
I don't, how, I don't how think there's been an actual transition here, Nana. I don't think there's been a, a decision made. I think uh, in conversation, people have felt uneasy about the self-use collateral, given what we've seen with FTX and before that with Luna. Um, I personally would still vote to have it there, maybe just a capped pool and a, a low collateral ratio to start. I think it should still be a component of that moving forward. Um, I, I don't think there's been a, a decision made unless I also miss something. I think it's just kind of where the trend of people's feelings are going in the current climate. We should also say, like, you know, from this discussion, it's become pretty clear SNX collateral is not going anywhere for a while, right? So, you know, it's going to be a slow transition as it gets phased out. So you don't have to worry about anything there. And as it gets phased out, like, SNX may have a whole better value prop, which is to, like, govern, you know, like, I'm actually, I'm not sure if the whole community understands, like, how powerful V3 is. But, like, it's, you know, it's powerful beyond belief. I'll say that. And it needs, like, a, you know, to be governed. There's a lot of things that need to be governed on V3. Like, you know, uh, basically every aspect of the protocol, right? A lot of upgrades that need to happen. Like, if you look at other protocols, it's kind of bland, their governance. Like, it's not serious, right? Like, Curve votes on gauges and they vote on uh, emissions. That's it. Compound votes on little interest parameters and this and that. And, you know, and basically they've, the governance is, is, it sucks anyway. Like, there's nothing there. But with, like, synthetics, like, so much, right? Like, adding, you know, different types of collateral, um, you know, um, the collateral ratio of those assets. Um, I guess it's sort of, like, there's so much, right? And especially, especially the emissions to those uh, and directing, like, you know, people to do what you want. So, like, there's just, like, there's a, you know, it's just so much more. And I think the fees and the stuff that the protocol will generate is going to be so much more than like anything we've seen with any other protocol, right? Like the demand for leverage is infinite. It doesn't end. Nobody wants, like if, as, if you give people leverage, they'll take it every single time, right? The whole world runs on leverage. Mortgages run on leverage. Your car payment runs on lever- leverage. Everything is leverage. So like spot, like spot markets, like, you know, uh, compound, um, you know, spot money markets, spot DEXs, like Uniswap curve. They're just like not in the same league, right? In terms of how much fees they will generate. So like, there is gonna, you know, there's gonna be a use case for SNX, and it's gonna be a governance token, and it's gonna be a proper governance token, not like, you know, some defiled version of uh, governance that, um, you know, Compound and Uniswap have basically created over time. So like, it'll be a real token, like a real utility token. It's gonna have a lot of use cases, and collateral is definitely not one of them. Um, if you want to borrow against it, I think like there's a lot of places to borrow against it, but for, um, you know, in terms of like the protocol, and need, we need to abstract away the delegated governance we have right now and put it in the hands of token holders. And, you know, and, and there'd be the proper incentives for token holders to do that too. So yeah, I'm not even worried about that. And I guess, you know, you're, 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 you're feeling you should be safe right now, Nana, because it seems like SNX will be collateral for at least the better part of 2023, at least. So, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it's not being phased out. And, you know, there were earlier talks about liquidating users, uh, raising the, the liquidation threshold, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm happy that uh, those worries are misplaced. But uh, the, the fact that, you know, it's uh, come on to be a decision that, you know, people are insisting that uh, only ETH or, you know, otherwise, I think Caleb even said he would leave if uh, SNX was collateral. So I, I find that a little, uh, I, I don't know what is the right word for it. So I, I didn't expect those kind of gaps. At least once a week at this point. Uh, okay, so so that that was a joke, I guess. Then maybe we can no, consider no, it. No, no, it was not a joke. Not a joke. If SNX is a big chunk of debt in the long run, 
I'm out, you know, like, it's not, not something, it's not resilient, you know, and you haven't seen, you're, you're yeah, new, you know, yeah, yeah, look, those, those on the council have I a mean, bit I'm, more experience, huh? and they, they know, uh, they know things that, uh, experiences that happened in the last, uh, two years, you know, like, uh, we had so many things take place, we had so many close calls that, that you have no clue about. And so I understand your point of view. Huh? It worked all this time. Why, why not uh, keep having it? But no, you, you have no clue, man. Uh, having I SNX mean, oh. is, is like, um, uh, like, you know, like with glass, if you have like a small, a small brick and becomes bigger and bigger and in the end, the glass will break. It's the same thing. You really have to have liquid uh, collateral for the stable to scale and to be safe, you know. But but it's fine. I like, mean, you can have your opinion. You can have your opinion. And if SNX makes up a big part of that, and the community wants community wants that, fine with me. You know? Caleb, Just I think like, you would find it agreeable though if it was a small portion. Very well small capped, is fine. Deep small is yeah, great. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Small is fine. But if it's like, we're gonna, like, Sanex is gonna make up 90% of the death pool, you know? Right. And so if we're gonna pull we'll, a fucking Luna, we should all just leave now because it's not gonna happen. I'm out. gonna leave right. before yeah. Luna happens, great. you know? And like, <laughs> leave it to Nana. <laughs> no, so, so I think the, these examples are a little misplaced, you know, FTT and Luna. I mean, they are different models compared to us. And uh, regarding me, I've, I've been here since Mount Gox days. So I think I have a little, I've had my fair share of experiences uh, about the risk, so uh, that is that. So I think the, these, I mean, the last time I, uh, me and Afif were having a conversation, I think he even mentioned 50 to 80% of the uh, SNX holders were fine with it. And I suggested, okay, maybe let's have an on-chain vote, you know, if people are, are fine with, the, you know, not using SNX as collateral. So may, maybe, you know, leave it in the hands of the token holders who, who decide if there's just such a pivot in the in the utility. I mean, I'm, I'm all for, you know, you, you guys want to add additional value. I'm all for it. You know, I, I would be happy as an SNX holder that there's additional utility and value, uh, coming into the token. So. Right. And um, we, we, yeah. we have, we have a, an election coming up for council again, right? Let's just make sure that every member of council has on record their opinion of the role of SNX collateral in V3 and users can, token holders can vote on that basis for the election to make that clear decision in a vote in this next cycle, right? If, if you think it should be an uncapped component in V3, let people know that. If you don't, let people know that as well, and the users can have their their, their say in making that decision. My position is very uh, clear that you shouldn't be cutting down on the utility until you have other use cases up and running. So that that's that's my position on it, and everyone can be happy. You know, it's it's not like... You have to just use one and the token holders don't have a say in it. I think it should be fair to let the token holders also have a say when there is a major pivot in the use case and utility of a token. I think it's only fair. All right. Well, we haven't reached the uh, the campaigning stage yet, so let's wrap this up. Um, I can't wait for the nomination Q&A. Um, maybe we'll get... Uh, some voice coders back to run the run the Q and A. Um, so, unless there's any other topics, are we happy to move on to the three sips that we've got to to present? Um, 
Who's going to be presenting those? Wait, wait, those weren't the sips? Oh, there's also liquidation penalties. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. I I just thought I thought Millie's was a sip currently. No. No. Passionate monologue. Okay. Cool. Yeah. 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 That, <laughs> that was just him. Stage, that was him presenting. Only in synthetics these things, you know, not not any protocol you'd find. Yeah, Someone. and it's because we have passionate, engaged governance that doesn't use a compound system that we get monologues on stage. Well, let me say this. I talked for freaking one fucking hour last time, and nobody said anything about the SIP. That, like, I got crickets on the other end, and all of a sudden my SIP got shot down. And, like, if you check out Spartan Council, this is Spartan Council channel, you'll see, like, exactly the things I was saying, like, you know, still, you know, popping up. So, yeah, that's my – that's all I'll say about that. But – you know, that is sort of like my in- intro into like how I'm, I might be running for Spartan Council. And like, this is the direction I think we should be going. Um, so yeah, that is my, that was my take on it. All right. Let's, uh, proceed please with the sub presentations. We have to launch, uh, perps next week. So we need to do the presentation this week and vote on it, hopefully. So if you've, if you can take it from here, I don't know if it's you who's presenting it or someone on the team. Yep, I will take it from here. Um, All right. Which one do you want to present first? I I'll start have... Um Yeah, because like um, 280 is 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 uh, is kind of like more of just a technical thing. I think in terms of, like if people have questions, like we might have to like Leo is away today. Um, so if people have like technical, I think we like, I, I think Leo presented 280 already. Um, and I'll just go over it at a high level. If people actually have questions on technically how it works, we can go into that. Uh, and maybe we can get Leo to, to present it next week, but I can do 279 and 281 for sure and 280. Um, so yeah, so I'll start with 279. Um, so 279 is covers all the mechanism changes um, in Perps V2. Um, so I guess the two main ones are that there's no more infinite liquidity. Uh, and again, like this is the second time I'm presenting it, so uh, it's going to be maybe not as um, in depth. But like on, uh, we can have a long Q and A period after if people have any questions. And also you can look at the set. Yeah. So anyway, so the first thing is getting rid of infinite liquidity. And the specific model that was chosen for how, you know, price impact would be uh, enforced on trades is basically this this um, floating skewed derived premium. Um, so basically, when you look at the market, when you have skewed towards the long side, the market always quotes uh, a positive premium relative to the Oracle price. And when you have skew towards the short side, the market always quotes a negative skew, a negative premium relative to the Oracle price. Um, so, like, if you if you start at zero, right, um, the the instantaneous price would be the oracle price, and then if there's a large long, um, the instantaneous price after the long executes would be some you know significant uh, positive premium, uh, and then the trade would actually actually it executes over the range between you know where it started and where it ended, so you actually have to take the average. Um, so with anything that's other than, you know, a straight linear curve, you would have to do some kind of integral to do it. But the premium is actually just a linear function of 
of uh, relative to skew. So as uh, for a larger and larger trade size, the premium linearly increases. So all you have to do is basically take the premium before the trade and the premium after the trade and take the average, and then that's your execution premium for the for the for the trade. And if you scroll down to the test cases in the SIP, there's a there's an example for this. So I can just narrate through the test case real quick for anybody who's who's looking at it. Basically, like we say, you know, the Oracle price is two thousand, and we start with five thousand long, five thousand ETH long, and four thousand ETH short. So initially, we have a skew of one hundred. Um, the variable that kind of determines all this is skew scale. It's the same variable as reused in the funding rate, um, but it's so it's it's used in the premium and discount also. It's because like ultimately like funding rates are in regular purpose markets are a function of liquidity and like you know um, at premium that is actually realized over long periods of time. So it should be the same parameter that dictates both of them. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so there's the skew scale premium which is a million ETH in this example. So if somebody comes and longs an additional 100 ETH, so we look at what the premium was before, and so it's just 100 divided by a million, um, which means that the adjusted price before uh, is 2,000.2. Um, and then we look at the premium after, um, right? So and the adjusted price after, after the 100 ETH long, now it's 2,000.4. So for the guy who longed the, the 100 ETH, um, in the example, the average execution price would be 2023. So it's like, it's like pretty straightforward stuff. Um, but basically the, the nice property that this has is that like, you know, a certain amount of skew is, creates like an obvious arbitrage opportunity, right? Um, so if there's so that it kind of puts a soft limit on how much skew or how much exposure the liquidity providers will have to take on because past a certain point, you start to have people arbitraging or like who would want along for, uh, 1% premium relative to the Oracle price. Uh, so th that's basically how it works. So it's like a really powerful risk, man risk uh, management tool um, for LPs. It automatically makes sure that you're mostly on average delta neutral as an LP, which is something we want with these purpose markets. It solves the problems that we had in B1 where um, we had to have restrictive open interest limits. With this, we have like very relaxed open interest limits because most of the time the skew is actually kept in check by this function. Um, it solves, you know, a lot of issues around market manipulation by, by, you know, adding, uh, by import, uh, levying a certain amount of price impact. Um, so you could in theory support more long tail markets. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically that part. Um, I could pause right there. I see that a lot of people in GovCall chat are not really following along, but I'll pause there and see if anybody has any questions uh, on the premium discount function. So I, I can, I can ask, if I can ask a few questions. I did ask already a lot, maybe in the background, but, um, like the premium discount functions is like kind of, um, a slippage kind of, um, functionality so that, uh, to limit, um, uh, directional flow so that, uh, if someone like takes a long position, it kind of, leans against the trade um that said my question is that the premium discount functions that we would be using for for ETH, do you have like a, a kind of uh estimate of how much uh premium or discount we would be expecting to have for like million dollar trade 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's like, that's a good, I think, uh, internally what I was, uh, thinking in my head, it would be about, uh, I have it written down here in the, sorry, I just want to No worries. If it's in basis point, it would be helpful to know. Like, do we have like already numbers in mind about the skew scale? Maybe that would help us, uh. Yeah, so I think the, the million ETH number that I gave in the, <coughs> Um, is kind of, is a realistic number. It would be on, on that order so that for like, uh, a thousand ETH order, you have 10 basis points of, of, of price impact. Okay. Um, okay. yeah. So that means that like in practice, two, th- like skew of 2000 ETH won't be very long lived. Um, which at this price is like two or three million dollars, which I think is a reasonable amount of exposure for the depth to take on, but that's kind of what I was imagining. And it also, it, like, it's pretty competitive. Like, I, I looked at, like, what's competitive with other execution venues, um, and that, that's, like, pretty competitive. Yeah, yeah, 10 basis points on million. It's fine. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, funding rate on a positive skew of a million dollars or $2 million, what kind of funding rate should we expect uh, and how fast does it change? Uh, yeah, so maybe I'll go through the funding, how the funding rate velocity model works, sorry. and then I, I can give sure, that example. Sure. sure, sure. Cool. Okay, sure. So yeah, so that, so that's a, you know, perfect, uh, transition to the next, uh, big idea here is, is, it's just a very slight change in the math of how funding rates are calculated, but it actually really changes the, like, the, the behavior of the AMM a lot. Um, so in Perps v1, um, there's this notion of an instantaneous funding rate that is just directly proportional to what the skew in the market is. So when you have long skew, longs pay shorts. When you have short skew, shorts pay longs, right? Positive and negative funding. Um, this has a, a, like a, a lot of like weird properties that were, are not really optimal. Uh, one is that like any large trade can make the funding rate jump all around and like it's not really intuitive to reason about. Like if you want to go in and, and do a funding rate arbitrage trade, like the funding rate can literally just disappear after the next person trades. Um, the other thing is that, like, the point of having a funding rate that, you know, increases as you go in the direction against skew, right? So as you have more longs, in, more long imbalance, it makes it more costly to open a long. Um, so it's supposed to, you know, help balance both sides of the market out, but it doesn't really do that very well because there's no incentive. Like, if there's a $2 million long exposure, Nobody's going to come in and short to capture, to balance that out because, uh, the funding rate instantly drops to zero, right? Um, so it has all these weird properties in terms of not really doing what it's supposed to do. So the idea with funding rate velocity is basically that instead of having skew dictate the instantaneous funding rate, um, skew actually just dictates the funding rate velocity. So when you have long skew, the funding rate will continuously inch up over time, and when you have short skew, the funding rate continuously inches down over time. So if you have a long that's opened, funding rate inches higher and higher and higher, and then if somebody balances out the market, the velocity goes to zero. That means the funding rate stops moving, but it doesn't go to zero. It just stops moving at wherever it was when the, the market was balanced out. Um, and then you could do the same, it's all linear, so you could do the same kind of interpolation and find out what was the average funding rate you know, from the last time somebody traded and we can, it basically fits nicely into the same exact, uh, you know, constructs that we were using to track funding rate before. 
Um, so not, the nice properties of this are that. Oh, nice. Somebody gets it. That's cool. Um, yeah. So then I, <clears throat> there's a change in this. Like what this does is initially like in, in V1, the debt pool exclusively earned funding for balancing out the market, right? Because when you have long skew, like that means that the debt pool is taking the other side of the long. So the debt pool has short exposure. And when you have short skew, you have the reverse, right? So any imbalance always means that. So if you have like 5 million of shorts and 6 million of longs, you know, you have longs are paying funding. 5 million is paying funding to the short side. And then the extra 1 million of skew is paying funding to the debt pool, right? So the, the, the imbalance part of side of the market is always paying funding to the debt pool. With this, it's not exclusively the case. Um, so if we have, let's say, that same situation of 6 million of long and 5 million of short, and um, we start from zero funding rate. Um, when we have the, when we have this condition, funding rate is continuously drifting higher, right? And we have long f- positive funding and long open interest. So in long, a, a long skew, that means that the, the extra longs are paying funding to the debt pool. Now let's say somebody shorts two million after we've drifted up to some positive number. Now we have short skew. Uh, but still positive funding where longs are paying shorts. So we would have 7 million of shorts and 6 million of longs. So the 6 million, 6 million of the shorts of the longs will be paying to the shorts and the debt pool actually has to pay out funding to the extra million. Um, so it's a different model where the debt pool is exclusively earning funding, but the thing to consider is that if you ever got to that state where you're turning around and you have Basically, skew is the opposite sign of the funding rate. So basically, when the funding rate is moving to away from zero, so either uh, negative skew and negative funding or positive skew and positive funding, when it's moving away from zero, the debt pool is earning funding. And when it moves towards zero, back towards zero, the debt pool pays the funding back out. And it's the same amount of funding it pays back out. So um, basically, funding is accrued without net loss or gain over time. It's shown in the charts basically where funding goes up to some number and then back to zero. Uh, it doesn't matter what path it takes in between. The net ex- the net funding paid for the debt pool is always zero. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a trade-off. You don't always earn funding, but it's a much more effective uh, d- dynamic to balance out both sides of the market, um, which means that you can scale open interest a lot more, right? Like it's a lot more scalable and capital efficient. Um, if you have a, a mechanism that aggressively, you know, targets being delta neutral without, like hampering UX too much. Okay, so there's test cases for this one as well, if you go down to the second test case. Um, and this is uh, to answer your question, Caleb. Um, so the, the the variables that determine the funding rate, it's the same skew scale variable, so the same one we use in, in premium and discount. Um, and then there's a maximum funding velocity. Um, so if you look at the fourth bullet point down, the sample I give is max funding velocity is 300%. What does that mean? 300% is that's how high the funding rate will move if over a day you have skew that is 100% of skew scale and uncorrected for a whole day. So that means that if we have skew of a million ETH, and I don't know how we got there, right? Because that means that somebody is going to pay, they paid 100% premium and nobody armed it. So it's impossible basically, right? But a skew of a million ETH and Nobody arbed it for a whole day. The funding rate would increase to 300%. But that's not really the correct way to think about it. The, like An easier way to think about it is with normal perps, basically, 
you would look at the the premium over an entire funding period and you would take the average premium and that's what ends up being the funding the funding rate exchanged between you know both sides of the market so in this case what does 300% mean it means that like let's say in the first example right um somebody made like we start from zero skew and somebody makes that 100 eth long right and now there's 100 eth skew so the 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 premium is uh, what is that one basis point? If that persists for eight hours, that means that we had an average skew over eight hours of one basis point. And it means that the funding rate drifted from zero to one basis point over that time, right? Because we had one basis point times 300%. Um, so it's basically recreating what you have in a traditional market where it's actually taking an average of the premium over time. It has this memory of, of uncorrected premium um, to basically bake that into the funding rate. Um, so it's basically like a, the traditional funding rate, but in continuous time, uh, which is crazy that you get all of this just from switching from instantaneous funding to funding velocity, but it's super cool. But so, yeah, so Caleb, to answer your question, um, the the example, yeah, so if you have, a, I have it in the test case, if you have 100 ETH, um, and it goes uncorrected for a whole day, now the funding is three bips. But it basically, yeah, 300% means the funding period is a day divided by three, which is eight hours. So basically, like, the inverse of the funding rate is, of the max funding velocity, is the it, it kind of roughly corresponds to the funding period in days. So 300% max funding velocity means that the funding period is, like, eight hours, which is uh, basically what it is in, in other places. So, so are you saying that that, that 300% annually is the rate that's applied or 300% in that eight hour window? So, so it's the max funding velocity. The units of funding velocity are percent per day per day, right? So if you, if you, it's how much, if you have skew that is uncorrected for a whole day, uh, and funding is daily funding, then what does it go to in a day? Does that make sense? So is it like 300% per day if we're at 1 million uh, at the max uh, uh, ETH uh, uh, possible, right? Long ETH. Yeah. 300% yeah. per day. Uh, if somebody like, opens yeah. like, uh, a billion dollar ETH position and they pay 100% premium for it and it's uncorrected for a day, then after 300%. all of that, the funding rate will be 300% per day. Yeah. So to calculate funding rate... Uh, for $1 million, it's like $1 million over a billion ETH times 300%. Wait, you're, dollars or ETH? You're mixing units. I know. Uh, a billion ETH is how many dollars? No, no, it's a million ETH. It's a million, million ETH. A million ETH yeah. is a billion dollars. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So a million over a billion times 300%. Is this how we calculate it per day? Oh, you mean <laughs> so, if, there was a, if there was a thousand ETH skew? If there's a million dollars, yeah, thousand ETH cube. Yeah, please just all ETH units. <laughs> yeah, thousand uh, ETH cube. Okay, so there's a thousand ETH skew starting from zero funding rate, and it's not corrected for a day. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. Then in that case, a thousand ETH skew creates um, thirty basis points per day funding velocity. So after a day, the funding rate will be thirty basis points per day. That's right. Okay, and then. This 30 basis points keep keeps increasing by 30 basis points every day? Yep, until somebody shorts. Okay. 
So that's like the, like, you know, with examples, it's easier to grasp it. So that, that's basically the idea. If you have like a thousand ETH, you take the thousand divided by the skew scale, multiply it by max funding velocity. That's your funding rate per day. And it yep. keeps increasing per day as long as the skew is maintained. And there's no yep. hard cap on that. Uh, I mean, other than you know, whatever the max <laughs> integer is, um, it just keeps going. Uh, what would happen if someone then shorted 1 million pesos? If someone what? Shorted 1 million ETH, 1 million dollars worth of ETH, and the funding and the skews become zero. Yeah, it, exactly. It, it stops when somebody does the basis arb. It stops increasing. It uh, stays the, it stays constant. And then if someone shorts it, it starts going in the other direction. It's the average. Uh, so that that's how it works. So what happens in the instance where there's a the <coughs> cap is that like the open interest cap is hit and um, like you can't, no one can step in to to arbitrage it. You can always step in because the open interest cap is a max side on one side of the market, so it's equal. So if there is skew, then by definition, like there has to be capacity to balance it on the other side of the market. Okay, so that's how um, V2 works. Interesting. Nice. Yep. So that's that's pretty cool. Yep. Uh, Adam, did 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 I answer all of your concerns? Uh, yeah, I, I think the conclusion there was there is no hard cap. It is just perpetual based on velocity, right? Yeah, I mean we're kind of we're we're kind of relying on economic incentives. Like it's like right, it's like a passive mechanism. It's like Uni, like a Uniswap pool, right? Like the pool price has an economic incentive to make sure that the the reserve balance always matches what the true price is. Um, with this, it kind of relies on the efficiency of how to do the ARB. But yeah, it'll just keep going yeah. until somebody steps in to make free money, or somebody it, like the person who opened the long could also say yeah. like. This funding is bonkers. Uh, I have to close my long, right? right. Yeah, we, we we just saw uh, this past you know month with FTX blowing up. A lot of places did actually have on their real perpetuals contract a max funding limit that was getting hit, and the economic incentives were kind of failing to go the other way. So I wanted to make sure that we have that uh, sort of without a cap. Yeah, I don't see any reason to have a cap. Like, we should just let it go to whatever it is. And as long as it doesn't put, like, a huge risk on the debt pool, like, the worst thing that could happen here is for some reason somebody opens a big long, and for some reason nobody will arbit, and for some reason the long won't close. Well, he just gets liquidated, and then the funding rate stops moving. And, like, if you honestly left your position open and didn't close at all that time and nobody armed, like, that's just the market. That's how it works. Just to be sure, like, the primary incentive to, you know, Come to Arbit is the um, is the is the premium, right? Uh, well, in that case, once the funding rate gets really high, you would also you would get the premium and you would get the funding rate. You would get like a huge fund. You would get paid a huge funding rate uh, for taking the other side, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like kind. It's it's uh it's it, I I think. From my perspective, the the perps v2, they kind of are doing many things to ensure that the skew is as neutral as possible, whether from the pr- premium uh, discount function or the funding rate. And this is something good to have because if you don't have like a neutral skew, then you get um, a FTX kind of events where 
you take on a lot of uh, debt when you don't want it. Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Afif. Uh, so I was just wondering, uh, are these graphs uh, the same ones uh, that that were there when you presented it last time? Yep. Uh, okay, they're still missing the units. And I believe uh, the last time I had asked for, uh, you know, a lo- longer duration, I believe the, uh, that uh, the units are seconds for the for the ones uh, published. Is it? Yeah, the length of the simulation, it, it's kind of just illustrating a concept. It doesn't, it's not actually, like I'm illustrating, I, I put the figures in there as an additional way to illustrate what's like already a mathematical fact. Um, so I don't think it really needs, I don't think it really needs more time shown. And the units are also arbitrary. Okay, and I was just trying to understand the rationale for uh, moving from, uh, you know, uh, from funding rate to velocity. So basically, uh, you've taken the first derivative of it, and uh, like, are you trying to calculate the integral for coming to the funding rate? Yeah. So you look at the skew, and the skew is the first. The, like, and you look at the skew, and it, you find that you, we're saying that the skew is proportional to the derivative of the funding rate. So you have to actually take some proportional skew thing and then integrate it to get what the actual funding rate is, and then to see how much funding rate to actually charge people. You have to integrate their position for the like for the amount of in, in time space, so it's a different integral. Uh, like you have to integrate um, in skew space to get the to turn the funding rate velocity into a funding rate, and then you have to integrate the funding rate in time space to get the actual amount of funding owed. Okay, so I was just trying to understand the rational behind going from you know the variable to its first derivative, and you know well, why not the second derivative? I'm just trying to make sense of. It. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of, I, yeah, I mean, I never really thought about doing the acceleration, um, and doing two integrals. I think this, what this kind of does is, I, I don't know that, I, I don't know. I haven't given it any thought. Um, the rationale was basically just that it, all the properties that I listed so far that are very nice risk management properties. Um, but I hadn't considered higher order derivatives. I expect it would be messy. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, no worries. Uh, and another thing is, uh, I mean, since it's, since we're talking about derivatives, is, is the funding rate, you know, continuous and differentiable to begin with? I mean, the, those kind of, you know, basic mathematics, if, if that's been a consideration. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, we, we've done it, we built it like that. Uh, I mean, it's not like it, the funding rate isn't an actual function. Um, we're just taking like a thing and calling it a velocity, but we're not actually performing any, any differentiation or anything like that. We're just saying this thing is now the rate of change of the funding rate. Uh, and like it's just a linear function. So of course it's, of course it's, uh, continuous and differentiable. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So it looks like there's one more step, right? Um, okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, if we're done with 279, well, 27, yeah, uh, 279 does include the bit about the rationale behind off-chain oracles, but since 285 was already presented and uh, approved, I don't think I need to go into it. 
Um, so I, I can go into two. I can do 280 and 281 if there's no more questions on 279. Hey, um, I see a question in the Gov call chat. Um, why would we maintain a positive funding rate when SKU is neutral? I, I know you're probably equipped to answer this. So, um. ah, that's an amazing question. I can't believe I didn't touch on this. This is another awesome thing about this model. So the other good thing about this model is that it that you can have zero SKU and non-zero funding, and that's actually an important thing. Um, here's an example like that I think really drives home the point. Um, let's say you have like an asset that's, you know, really hard to borrow or has a really high interest rate or, you know, there's really high short demand, something like that, right? Or it's something like VITS, you know, some mean, mean reverting thing that, you know, everybody wants to be long or everybody wants to be short or something like that, right? So like, let's say we have this thing that everybody wants to be short. Um, it was the old model, everybody's short. And so now the debt pool has downside exposure to this thing that everybody wants to be short, right? Maybe it's like some hyper inflationary own Ponzi um, and everybody wants to be sh- short this thing because, you know, there's so much sell pressure and it's always going down. There's a really like non-negligible chance, like very high. In fact, I did a lot of back testing to help like somebody else explain this in the past that the funding you earn for taking on that exposure is not like very often does not compensate for the risk you took with that exposure. Um, so it's not it's not like the, the the prevailing wisdom, which would be like, oh, like, well, you're 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 short, but you're getting paid for it. And so it averages that over time. But it's not true. You actually it, it, you take a lot more risk and over time. Yes, but it really limits the capital efficiency. So what this model lets you do is it lets you say, like, it lets if everybody wants to be short this thing, you know, they all pile into the short. And now the funding is drifting more and more negative until you get to, let's say, like it has some fair market funding rate, like whatever it is on Binance, like. Like SNX, let's say, it, it, it trades with 80% negative funding on Binance, right? So you could actually, ha- everybody takes the short, the funding drifts more and more negative, and then somebody's like, well, hey, I can long on synthetics and short on Binance, and I can, you know, capture this, the ARB on the spread between the funding rates, so I'm going to do it. And now the debt pool doesn't have to be perpetually exposed to downside risk on this on this asset. So now if you, you've kind of found the equilibrium at the market funding rate, anytime somebody, you know, longs for an extended period of time it's going to push it too high and then now somebody will say well hey i'm going to short here actually because it's attractive again or if people want to keep shorting uh other people will long and then you just kind of bounce around instead of bouncing around zero you bounce around the equilibrium funding rate for the asset um which is i think a very nice property because now on average your the, the lps are not going to have any directional exposure uh which makes it a lot more scalable and capital efficient and can support a lot more things. Like it would be scary to have a you know an own Ponzi market where everybody's short and now the debt pool loses money when when everything goes down and then somebody dumps a bunch of it on the market and now like you know the debt pool kind of loses money. So like I, I think it's a lot. It is a lot nicer having it like this. I have that well, answer. The question. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, and just to expand on on that a little bit, something I'm not sure if you touched on. Um, with SNX, like because we have a one year locking mechanism. There's like a lot of demand for for shorting as a hedge. And so that's like a use case where you might see a lot of assets that have these locking mechanisms in DeFi where there's going to be this constant um, uh, demand for a hedge. And so that's like one example of where you might always see the funding rate uh, one way or another. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the example I used when I did the back testing to like uh, was there was another CC. I was I was like trying to explain why this is useful. Um that like a curve was the example and they're like curve frequently trades w- with negative 
funding because a lot of people have a lot of curve rewards and they want to lock in a price or something. And if you look at the PNL for like what the debt pools PNL would have been with this model versus the old model, it's like much, much, much better because at the beginning of the year, everybody was short curve uh, because they were getting tons of CRV and their rewards. Um, and if the depot just carried that CRV short exposure the whole time during the bear market, it would have been really, really bad. That it did, the funding didn't come anywhere near close to compensating for the directional losses. So it's always, always, always better to be delta neutral if you can, uh, which which this basically like strongly enforces. Without like in the old days, we thought we would have to just have a ridiculously steep funding rate curve to be able to not have to take any directional risk, right? Because back when we started build, building synthetics perps, like the idea of funding rate being proportional to skew instead of price premium was still relatively new in DeFi. Now a lot of people are doing it, um, but it's still not the right approach in my opinion, and something like this is actually a lot better. Okay, so if there aren't any more questions on 279, I can... About about listing curve. Um, so let's say we do list curve. Um, the premium discount function, there's still it's still kind of uh, helpful in terms of leaning against uh, not only latency, but, but also directional uh, position taking. Yeah. Uh, but, but my question is, uh, what are the limits on, on open interest? This is like something that might come up a lot. Like on ETH, what do you think would be the limit? On on something like Curve, what would be the limit? Yeah, so <laughs> I think like sensible risk management would say like as an Oracle reliant protocol, we obviously want to keep the open interest um, that we're exposed to well under you know what the total open interest out there is. So like. As a hard cap, I would say 20 to 25%. Like, we shouldn't let the synthetics open interest ever go higher than what it, 20 to 25% of what it is on all the other major exchanges. Um, like, obviously, early on with the mechanism, I think we want to keep the maximum open interest fairly low in case there's any kind of problems. But uh, eventually, like, I don't see why the, like, the max open interest should be something that we never bump up against, that, like, users are unaware of, uh, unless we're just phenomenally successful, right? Um, but the, the skew scale is something that, you know, the Spartan Council will have to manage and there will have to be, you know, frequent checks to look at what the market conditions and liquidity conditions are like. <clears throat> Has liquidity deteriorated? Are we giving a free lunch by being too liquid? Like, I think a good rule of thumb would be to look at like a few of the largest venues and then see like what the combined price impact would be for an order of some size on all of those venues, and then again, do like 20% of that or something, so it can be competitive but not risky. And then we have a lot of buffer if liquidity deteriorates to make adjustments. I know that um, we're not at V3 yet, but these parameters with V3, are they kind of um, pool-specific, or how does it work with V3? Who sets these parameters? Yeah, uh, so Like open interest and uh, skew scale. So th th there's a couple ways to do it. Um, I think initially it'll just be the pool creator who will manage these things. Um, I, yeah, it'll basically just be the pool creator who will manage these things. Um, th there are ways to do it where you could give a little bit more control to LPs, but it, it's uh, that's that won't be the initial way that it's done. Sure. So sorry, just one, one last question on this. Um, you said like, 
is there a particular like hard cap you could put on uh, open interest, like a hard hard cap, or is it just strictly directional hard cap? So yeah, so there's a soft directional hard cap enforced by skew scale, and then there's a hard uh, like I think the hard 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 cap should be like make sure that I don't I can't imagine this would happen right like there's billions of dollars of open interest on like ETH out there or something but maybe for longer scale assets where there's like only one one market on Binance or something like that you would say like what is the total open interest for this asset like let's try to stay below 20% of that so that would be like the hard hard cap and what if we push up on that hard hard cap and then you know the skew is one sided uh what do you mean the skew is one sided well, let's say it's like skewed to one side, like, you know, uh, significantly. Everyone's short. There's no room for a long in there. Um, yeah, so, like, how would you, like, and we push up on the hard cap. Um, I'm I'm not f- following. So, let's say we have, like, some market, and we, like, let's say it's, uh, like, curve, like we just said, or something. And we say the maximum open interest is 10 million CRV. So, what what's the, can you give me numbers? Uh, so, such that, um, you know, shorts are paying longs, like, significantly, but there's just no, like, there's nobody there to go long. Like, you're, you're pushed up with, like, all 10 million curve open interest is taken up, and nobody could come in and, like, you know, open a long position to uh, capture that. Do we just, there's literally just, like, it just bleeds out until, you know, the they close their positions, like the shorts? Yeah, that's extremely unlikely. You, like, the, 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 like the the soft limits that are enforced by skew scale are like a hundred times lower than the maximum than the the cap on the maximum open interest. Um, so like you'd never it'd be pretty impossible to get to that point. Okay, okay. So there's a big differentiator between the hard cap and and the soft uh, skew based cap. Yeah, the hard cap is like way. way that's why I'm saying like I'm, I th- if we did it right, users won't even be aware of the hard cap. Okay. And do we have, sorry, I, I, I don't, I want to know you want to move on, but like, do we have, um, do you have like a basic idea of like what the difference between the, uh, the soft, uh, cap and the hard cap would be, like roughly percentage rise? Um, like, yeah, so like for ETH, like I was saying, like a million ETH is what we're thinking for SKU scale. Um, which means that like, like I was saying, like anything over a thousand ETH would get arbed, one or two thousand ETH. Uh, and so like a, a, a million ETH, you know, that in theory would be the hard, or, or 500,000 ETH in theory would be the hard cap, right? Okay. So, so there you go. So like one or two thousand ETH skew would be arbed, but then the hard cap is like 500,000 ETH, right? So it's much, much bigger. Cool. Got it. All right. There is like just one more step, maybe, or related to the off-chain uh, part. Is it 280, or or are we done? Um, 280 is just upgradability. It was Leo presented it already, and he did he yeah. did a better job presenting it than I ever could. The only I think question mark um, after that presentation was what will the actual migration between Perps v1 and Perps v2 look like? Um, so and what what was ended up what ended up being decided like based on you know Quinta's needs uh and who's you know the primary user of Perpsy One obviously is that uh Perpsy One would just be left online like um the migration 
that we were contemplating, we like decided it wasn't really necessary. And that, so the nice thing is that Prep V2 can kind of be launched in parallel, uh, and then give people time to wind down their positions. And even if any, if they, if the, if Quento wants to leave those, you know, legacy sites up for people to wind down their positions for a while, it's possible. Uh, and then this gives us a chance to kind of roll, do a progressive roll out of V2. So that's the only, that was the only question mark on upgradeability, but, uh, yeah, Leo presented it. Basically the gist is like upgradeability is good. We can make changes now. Um, so yeah, and then I can do 281 also super quick. So, uh, be, yeah, before, uh, like, uh, what will happen when we launch Perps V2 if this will be winding down ETH Perps V1? Like, we'll be lowering the open interest limit to a negligible number. And then, um, is that how it works, right? That, that's basically the idea, yeah. Uh, is that we can basically sort of put it in like close only mode and ask people to close for a while. Um, okay. Yeah, that's basically it. What what what's about the bug? You know, like the one that um, uh, Quenta found about um, uh, the debt uh, perp, the debt pool perp. Mm-hmm. Can we lower the open interest limit to zero? No, right? Yeah, it's like some w- weird bug where like. You can't close all the way to zero if, if honestly, I can't even remember what it is at this point. Is Troy still the audience? Is Troy there? Uh, He's not. Yeah, I can tell you what the outcome is. The outcome is that we can't actually lower the max market size to zero. Um, because the way, the workaround they found for it was that, um, it had to, instead of closing to zero, it had to open a long that basically pushed your position, like, right past zero. Um, like if you, oh, there's Troy. Troy, please explain. Yeah. So basically it's like only the, so there's like two position or two, uh, functions you can use to, to modify positions. One is like you specify a size. So you say like, you know, make it bigger or smaller by one ETH. And then the other is like a closed position, which is basically just like kind of a shortcut that just, uh, submits a modify exactly your size in the opposite direction. So basically the bug is in the close position function. Um, it will revert for like only for short positions when the, when the cap is below, when the cap is below the open interest. So if you set the open interest to zero, um, none of the shorts can close. Our workaround is to open like to use the modify instead of the close position. Um, to open like basically a one way long position and then close from the long side. And that works, but like, uh, that means that the cap always needs to be, you know, slightly larger than whatever the long side is. Otherwise you can't open that small long. Like if you, if you want to open this like tiny long position, the cap has to be higher than the current open interest. All right. So, in light of this, um, one way to unwind uh, V1 is to, uh, in case it's a long position, uh, lower the cap to zero. In case it's a short position, uh, lower the open interest limit to slightly above the long. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. The the problem being like you can't then really prevent people from like you know you, you opening the position back up to that cap. But like the you, but but the amount if the amount is within like you know cents, like we're talking about adding sure. opening a long position the size of like you know sure. But but lowest incentivize them to closes to tweak the skew scale by lowering the skew scale. Uh, yeah, that would make it a bit more costly to maintain a position and people will exit, no? Uh, yeah, incrementally, yes. of course, not, not, uh, jerking it, uh, incrementally. Um, yeah, with the idea, especially that, with that, like, ultimately what you're looking for then is for the long side of any market to close. Like that's, yeah, that's then sure. becomes the new goal. I just increase funding rate 100% and all your problems are solved. Is what someone said. They're right. That's, that's the way to do it. Another, another question is, um, so what's the timeline on Quenta being ready for V2? Oh, it's like an ambush. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> uh, I believe actually like we'll be sharing some, uh, like an in-progress version of our interface like this week, like today um, or tomorrow um, with synthetic CCs. And uh, I think like most of the work that needs to be done coming out of this is actually just like um, improving like the UX. So um, like for things like de- delayed orders, like people need to, um, you know, people need to be like really aware of like what their deposit means and like what happens if their order doesn't execute and like that kind of stuff. So I think those are the things we're kind of trying to um, work out right now are like, what is the best way to like display the proper kind of like warnings to users before, um, before we get tons of questions on that kind of stuff. But otherwise, like all the interactions and stuff are ready. So. Um, on the testnet version. So like, I, I believe we're, we're pretty ready to go with something that's like, that like works, can make interactions with the contract, but I wouldn't say we're ready for something that's like, I want to send a ton of people to go, um, use this thing and end up getting, um, having some like confusing, yeah, confusing like experience. Like the, like the beta version, the initial, uh, version for p- p- uh, futures it was it was horrible i remember it gave a lot of people bad bad uh, ux um yeah so, yeah so so perks is launching like probably next week and maybe the week after so 19th of december quanta would be ready in jan or is it in december uh, the idea is like, I think that 19th, like we'll have a, an interface that's like, um, like, you know, like, uh, usable, but may not have like the ideal, like ultimate user experience. So we can share in kind of like a closed beta or alpha format. So when's the live format? Uh, the ready version. If it's, if 19, you have beta. Two weeks after you'll have the live version, or is it more, more time? Um, Sorry for, for interrupting the SIP uh, presentation. <laughs> no, that's one no, topic. Okay. topic. Um, like our our initial plan was is something something like early January, um, just because like even even this version is basically like 
you know, like four days before Christmas launching a brand new thing for everybody to like put their money into, which is like not the greatest idea in my opinion. Um, if people have questions and like, you know, certain like CCs aren't available over the holidays or whatever. So, um, that's, that's kind of like where I'm at is like, we can, we can improve and like put the right kind of warnings and make sure we hit all the edge cases and fix those before January. No, thank you. If um, you want to continue this presentation, is there something else you want to add on the presentations, or is that about I think it? Everything, yeah. Okay. I mean, two eighty one was also already presented. I don't think it needs. It hasn't changed at all, so I don't think we really need to present it again unless people really want me to. It's basically just fixing some bugs from from V one. I can take questions if there are any. So I, it's fair to say that we can set up the votes uh, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, that sounds good to me. All right. Cool. Great. Uh, anyone on this person council has any other questions or comments before we call it a day? Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, it's been a long call and everyone's been very patient, but I think. Yeah, we should touch upon, uh, you know, the increase in penalties that was done. I don't believe that was the right decision. So uh, maybe if you guys have the time, I can just voice my objections to us. It's been done already, though. Go ahead. You have three minutes, like, uh, for you have to, like, call it a day. Okay. So the the last time we increased penalties before this, the hikes were 50 and 100% respectively. This time, the penalties have become almost 250% and 350% of what they were a month ago. So all, all of this has been done within a month, even as, you know, prices rose up and there was some kind of respite for stakers. So I really don't think there was an, uh, uh, it wasn't so necessary or urgent to do it. And, uh, the last time we increased it, the seed ratio barely changed for about two weeks. Okay. So I think people need to pay attention to these things. The the C ratio right now has largely been, you know, uh, moving along with the prices. And even, uh, you know, another fact is that the last time this was done, it was done in almost 24 hours. This time it's been done in 8 or 10 hours. So maybe we're trying to set some records with this. I don't know why there's such a pressing hurry for these important dis uh, decisions. There, there should be discussions and community calls like, like, uh, you know, Gauntlet was trying to do with raising the C ratio to 425%. And which reminds me, why, why wasn't even Gauntlet's input solicited? Why, why won't they, I mean, that's what we're paying them for, right? To assess the risk to the network and give us suggestions. So I think that should have been done. That wasn't done. And, uh, the, on the last call, uh, when there was uh, some talk of increasing the penalties, uh, I believe there was silence when I asked, uh, you know, would, uh, would people consider synthetics a positive thing to do with such high penalties? I don't think there were any answers. And now all of a sudden we just see, uh, you know, this drastic increase. So I think these are things that we should ponder and discuss more about rather than hurry up. With Nana, it, it, if you if you feel this strongly about it, because you brought it up time and time again, present us like evidence-based, math-based numbers on why you feel this way about it, because. What I've heard time and time again is your feeling of the reaction of the stakers. Go poll stakers if you want to make it subjective. If you want to make it objective, 
Look at the liquidation numbers. Look at the, the penalties. Give us something to work with because right now everybody else was on the other side of the vote. And I know that you feel very strongly and very differently about this, but we can't change our votes based on the feelings. Give us some data to work with. And if you go out and, and find that data and put it together and make a compelling argument, I'm, I'm always open to switching my votes on things when I have data that supports an argument. So that's, that's all I would say from my perspective. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I think I mentioned the increases and the per ratios in which they've been increased, 250% and 350%. Sometimes right. it's not the numbers, you know, but the velocity and the direction that you're going in, you need to keep uh, the current state of the network in mind. Just to be clear, what are the, what is the current liquidation um, ratio? Liquidation ratio is 145%. You get flagged. No, it's it's. No. Ra- oh, you mean before the before the SEC? before before the SEC? Oh, okay. Credit. Is it going to be again? Is it going to be two hundred? One seventy-five. No, one seventy-five was it? Yeah. One seventy-five. Okay, let's call it a day. It's already midnight here. Thank you, everyone, and take care. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.